Welcome to another podcast edition of the White Collar Crimes Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Horn. Thrilled to have you, as always. You know, of late, we've talked a lot about con men of various types, and we will continue that discussion on this episode as well. And this is one some of you older folks might remember, because this one is an author and a con man. And some of you especially from maybe that were old enough to remember him around in the 70s and times like that, maybe even some of the 80s, he had appeared on Johnny Carson to tell his story and some other places like that. But the name Frank Abengale may not ring a bell to some of you younger folks, but once you hear the story here, you'll see some similarities to other con men that we've talked about on this show. Now, he... Uh, he does have a movie that is after his life, patterned after his life, and this actually stars Leonardo DiCaprio. It's made in about, I think, 2002, somewhere in there, so Leo was big star then and still is now, so this is a one actually I have not seen yet, but I plan on checking it out. I believe it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime or one of those services. So uh, after this is over, you may want to check that one out to get more detail. Now, he made his claim and made a lot of wild job claims throughout his life, and some of which were true, some of which have been kind of uh, doubted and questioned, so to speak. But we'll hear amazing ways how he did this and how he managed to scam so many people so simply and portray all kinds of different professions for which he was not actually trained or qualified for. Now, how will you hear this? Well, this is brought to you, this podcast, as many of our recent ones have been, by The Weekend Angler on the YouTube channel. He is one of our sponsors, so if you are a fisherman, and I'm one myself, uh, be sure and check out his YouTube channel, The Weekend Angler. Lots of really cool stuff on there. You'll learn really a lot. Uh, I've learned a lot checking it out as well. But as I said, he made a lot of wild claims, and it almost was like he lived kind of a Walter Mitty type life. Now, who is Frank Abengale? Well, he was born in the Bronx to an Algerian mom and an Italian-American dad. Now, his parents divorced when he was a teenager, and he later relocated with his father. And when he spoke to Carson, on, when he was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, he actually said that the divorce was a lot of what kind of messed him up and the fact he worked really hard to try to get his parents back together, and it didn't work. He was a teenager, and that's a tough age when oftentimes, I know in my years of doing juvenile probation cases, a lot of times when the parents divorced, if the juvenile was a teenager at that time, that's when they really start to act out and problems arise. So he was certainly not alone in that regard, and that is at least what he claimed when he was on Carson, that the parents' divorce caused him to lead the life he did. And he explained that he fled to New York and was not able to make much working as a 16-year-old in New York with minimum wage, what it is, and what it costs to live in New York. So he said he looked a little older, so he was able to lie about his age and get some more higher-paying gigs, but still not enough to really make it in New York. And that's when he found and discovered about writing bad checks and passing himself off in various occupations, which he was not trained or qualified for. Now, he says his first scam was actually scamming his own father. 
and supposedly he was given a gas card and a truck from his father around the age of 15. And this is at the time when he supposedly ran up a $3,400 bill. It's a lot of money in the early 60s. In fact, I looked, it accounts to about 34000 today, so roughly 10 times more now uh, that would go for. So at the time, ripping somebody off of $3,400 would be equivalent to ripping somebody off now for about $34,000. Now, he did do a little bit of time in a reform school for that, and this is something that, uh, again, he claimed about being members of, of various exclusive schools in New York, and we will say claimed a lot because, as I said a little bit ago, some things that he has claimed and maintained have happened there is verifiable proof and there's other things that are being questioned and challenged and may not be true but regardless that's what he claimed that he did some time in a reform school for this but he also claimed to belong to a lot of various elite schools including a catholic school in new york that supposedly had no record or no verifiable evidence whatsoever of his attendance no pictures no teachers or alumni knew who he was but Nonetheless, he claimed it, so, uh, you know, probably not true, but like a lot of other things he claimed, uh, was highly exaggerated or an out-and-out lie. Now, at 16, like I said, he's run away from home, runs into a lot of challenges, so he decides to join the Navy, of course, lying about his age, because at 16, even then, you could not get into the Navy. But he was discharged within a matter of months, and probably for lying about his age, among other things, so he didn't last too long in the Navy, but he did at least, I guess, get the experience of enlisting. And quickly after being discharged, he was quickly back into trouble, impersonating a police officer and trying that, that was trying to claim to be investigating a resident's teenage daughter. The parents got very suspicious, as they should, called the police, and he was caught with a fake gun and a fake police ID. And not only did this land him a little bit of time behind bars, it also got him a little bit of a trip in a psych unit very briefly. Probably not long enough, because as you will see, he will continue to offend and lie and con and any way he can to make a quick, dishonest buck. Now, after this time, though, he started to graduate to more serious crime. And the first really serious crime he branched out in he managed to steal a neighbor's car and flee across the country, all the way from California to New York. Since he fled state lines in commission of a crime, this got the feds, the FBI, involved. And this also brought about and got law enforcement on his trail because he was passing bad checks to finance this road trip across the country. Now, you might ask, where did he get these bad checks to pass along? Supposedly, he stole these from a nearby family mom-and-pop type business. Since he was still a minor, as often is the case, he got a pretty light sentence and was quickly returned to his father. Now, it's at this time he decides he wants to be a pilot. So at age 17, mind you, this is still not an adult, he's still a juvenile, he tried to pass himself off as a pilot by buying a pilot's uniform that he paid for with stolen check money. So he finances his con with money that he's stolen from con jobs. So a dyed-in-the-wool con man for sure. 
Now, this time he was caught, and this would actually quickly earn him a couple of years in prison. And I thought about it, it's quite possible at age 17 in New York, at this time you could probably be tried as an adult. I know when I began my law enforcement career back in 98, probably till I would say maybe about 10 or 12 years ago in Illinois, you could, you could be charged with felonies as an adult and charged as an adult at age 17. I think they changed that, like I said, about 10 or 12 years ago, where now it's up to, you got to be up to 18 before you can be charged as an adult. But I would say that's probably what happened at that time. You're talking early 60s here, mid-60s, and at that time, a 17-year-old, I guess, could go to prison in New York, and he was sentenced to two years. Now, after his release, he's put on parole, and he violates that parole with another stolen car conviction. So we've seen so far, he likes to pass off bad checks, and he likes to steal cars. Very much his MO, his modus operandi. Because he would also soon, at this time, also gain another stolen check conviction. So, you know, he's just... Uh, Somebody you wouldn't pass along. You've seen those pictures sometimes on a business back in the old days. You don't see it as much anymore because that many people don't pay things with paper checks like they once did. But sometimes in stores, especially small towns around where I'm at and grew up in, you might see a picture at the store, do not take a check from this man or this woman, whatever. I imagine he totally fit that bill. I can't imagine anybody in the country at that time would take a check from this man with his atrocious history of passing off bad ones. Now, this time stealing the car and the bad checks and passing those around earned him a whopping 12-year sentence. I'm sorry, yeah, 12-year sentence, but this was 12 years of probation, which is astonishing. I, In Illinois, where I'm at, you generally only see three or four years a lot of times for probation. Once in a while, maybe 60 months, but that's about topped ends. Now, some of the cases that I've seen that have transferred in from Tennessee and Texas and some of the other states, I've seen it very more common for people to get eight or ten years of probation. I don't think I've ever seen 12, so that might have been kind of the thing at the time, but he got a whopping sentence of 12 years of probation. But he quickly violated that probation by fleeing to Europe, where he was arrested in France for stealing a car from some people in Sweden. He served a couple months for this and was deported back to the United States and was supposed to pay restitution to the victim, but he failed to do so. And how many times have we talked about that on this podcast? The overwhelming majority of the time, these white-collar criminals pay nothing or maybe only a very small amount of money back to their victims. Why? I think mainly arrogance. A lot of them don't see what they did as crimes, and they don't see their victims as human beings. They just see them as suckers, people that they ripped off, you know, they got what they had coming. They deserve it. They should have uh, known better, so they just try to go out there and uh, just keep living life and not pay back what they owe. And surprisingly, I've seen, too, it's surprising the courts and the pro probation and parole that these offenders are on when they're released is not often revoked for not paying these and therefore makes it much easier for them not comply to not comply with that condition. Now, after returning to the U.S., he put his fake pilot uniform back on and began passing bad checks on college campuses. Now, supposedly, if you check out the movie, and I haven't seen it yet myself, the Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio, they actually, the way this is portrayed in there is not accurate about what he did on the college campuses. It's apparently, so keep that in mind, oftentimes these are not 
accurate in what's done when you see these films. Uh, oftentimes they do what's called creative liberty. And if you happen to like uh, some things like movies and audiobooks and things like that, keep in mind I've got some out there. If you haven't checked out In Danger of Judgment, it's out there on Beacon Audiobooks right now. I did that one last year. That was written by a former attorney named David Rabin. You can check that one out. It's a definitely a good one. You can see it on or hear it on Audible or Amazon. And uh, check out my website, ryan-horn.com, to see my voiceover work. If you're interested and need me for a project, I'd be glad to do it for you. You can email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. And you can also check out... Uh, our Facebook page for updates on this podcast, the White Collar Crimes Podcast. Please stay tuned for all of that. And please stay tuned for all kinds of cool stuff that are just right around the corner. The YouTube channel, the first book launching, and the podcast, additional podcast, the bonus one that's coming out with me and famous con man, the Don of Con, Steve Commissar. He's been a guest on here. You can check out the pilot episode that we're going to have. You can get an early sneak peek before the podcast is actually launched. It's on my uh, podcast right here that many of you may have already heard on this podcast, the White Collar Crimes Podcast, and you can also catch it on his on Scam Junkie, and it'll very soon be out on one there. So help us make that one a success, too. You've helped us make this one, and I hope you can help us keep climbing and get in the top percent, 10 percentile. We're in the top 25 percent. Very strong ratings, and we are very thankful that you've been a part of that, so please help us continue to do that. Now, after returning to the U.S., as I said, he puts on his fake pilot uniform and began passing bad checks on college campuses, claiming he was a recruiter for Pan Am, the airline. Never flown that airline, but I've been familiar with it and heard about it my whole life. That's one I actually have not ever flown on. And if this guy was going to be the pilot, I'm glad I was not doing that. But this time, the bad checks got him once again on the radar of the feds. The FBI started picking up on him again. And after this time, he was arrested. They had finally had enough of his antics and his scams. And this time, the courts, this is 1971, sentenced him to 10 years in prison. He got an additional two added on for trying to escape from the local jail, which reminded me of a case fairly early in my law enforcement career at the sheriff's office when I worked at the county jail. There was a guy that was there on a murder charge. Actually, two I saw two different murder charge people attempt escapes. Both of them failed and were recaptured, and they got five years on top of their life sentences. So they got like life plus five. I don't know, again, what the laws were in New York. In Illinois, it pretty much would automatically get you five years if you tried to escape. I guess in this case, he only got two. So he's staring down the barrel of looking at 12 years in prison. But somehow, and maybe he just managed to con the parole board or the courts or whomever, but in 1974, less than three years later, he's actually paroled and back out on the streets, ready to victimize again. Now, he claimed to work various jobs, such as a movie projectionist and uh, some others, a grocer, things like that. He ended up losing most of the jobs, though, because he failed to conceal his criminal past and his background. Once that was discovered, he got the axe. Then he began kind of a sort of self-employment career as a speaker and a security consultant, helping companies and corporations detect fraud and scam. I mean, he was very good at it, so... Why not teach folks what to look out for and the tricks of his trade? 
But he inflated his resume while doing this, claiming that he had also worked with the FBI and the famous Scotland Yard. I don't believe I've ever heard that one. I've seen a lot of American con artists claim to be maybe cops or things like that. I don't know. This is probably the first one I've seen actually claim to be a member of Scotland Yard, which is not actually in Scotland, but uh, nonetheless, he claimed that. Then he went on tour, and while he was on tour selling his ideas, training, whatever, you know, expertise, whatever it was he was selling, he made a lot of wild claims that he had gotten away impersonating and working jobs as a doctor, assistant attorney general, a professor, and then again, once a pilot. Now, thankfully, I don't think there's a record of him actually being the sole pilot. I think there was a story where he was like on the plane on the ride as like the co-pilot or something like that, but thank God he was never in one of these alone to fly it because that would not have ended well. Now, he would work as a consultant for a lot of years, and as I said, do a lot of the TV show circuit, was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and a lot of news programs selling his ideas and expertise and telling wild, outrageous stories of how he had pulled off some very elaborate scams and posing as different types of officials and things like that. Now, many of his wild claims and exploits have been challenged, and they've been debunked by the media and law enforcement. And his claims to have ripped off, he claimed to have never ripped off an individual. Sort of putting himself out there as kind of like a Robin Hood image. But, again, a check of the fact show that's not true. He ripped off a lot of, as I said a little while ago, some mom and pop businesses of their checks. Ripped off his own father, a lot of other people. Ripped off a lot of college students with his Pam Pam Am scam. And, uh... He certainly was not a Robin Hood. He certainly targeted a lot of small businesses and common everyday folks, which sadly are the ones that are oftentimes victimized in white-collar crimes. Now, court records do show that he not only targeted small businesses, he also just targeted individuals, just some of the ones I mentioned and others. Really didn't matter, especially it sounds like if you had a checkbook, you better watch it around this guy. He was going to take it and go on a wild spree and basically break your bank. Now, as far as I know, he is still continuing to tour all these years later. He's in his 70s now, but still being honored. In fact, there was a story that last year he was kind of called out on his scams at the university, Xavier University, which is in Cincinnati, not where I went. I went to the University of Cincinnati, but I do know where Xavier's at, and I guess he was honored by the institution. But a fellow uh, scam podcaster happened to be in the audience and called him out on his BS. He claimed that he's not doing any scams or doing anything wrong, but this podcaster felt it was wrong for the institution to honor him. He was getting some type of award or honor, and uh, being on his past long track record as a fraudster and scammer, he felt like that was inappropriate. So no word on really what he's doing here in 2023. I don't know of any stories, though, that he's managed to get arrested any time in recent years, so he has at least managed to stay out of trouble, uh, probably still selling books or working as a consultant or whatever. But uh, again, some of his stories and claims have been shown to be true, and they really were wild-type scams and things that he dreamt up. Others, not so much. They've been challenged, or there's no evidence that they ever happened. But regardless, he has lived a pretty elaborate career, and he has written a book. I believe it's also named the same as the movie, Uh, Catch Me If You Can. So like I said, I plan on checking that out. And we thank you that you've checked out this podcast. Now, I do want to let you know next week, 
when we would normally launch the next one, October 31st on Halloween. Uh, we will not have an episode that week. Wife and I will be on a little trip around that time, a little R&R that's needed, and highly encourage any of you to do that when you get a chance as well. So please stay safe out there. Watch out for your fellow relatives and friends, especially the elderly ones, be sure, and also check out your local pet shelter and adopt your next best friend. And if you want to be a guest on this show, email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. Or if you have an idea for a show, we'll take both. Glad to have either. And we're glad you've tuned in. We thank you so much for being a part of this. And we will see you back in two weeks, folks. Be sure and check out the other episodes we've had recently. And keep an eye out for all the changes. Lots of really cool stuff right around the corner. Take care and God bless everybody.